Is the breaking up of the United States a workable option? And would it bring a marked improvement in human affairs? We'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. When you go to my website, brianmcclanahan.com, give me that email address. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audio book of the same title read by yours truly. You get on my email list, and that's a great way for me to keep in touch with you and let you know about great things like new classes at McClanahan Academy, where I do have a new one coming out this month. So check your email for that class and the coupon, because I always give you a coupon the first week or week and a half or so when the class is launched. You're going to want this one, Reading Thomas Jefferson, when it does come out. So make sure you get on the email list. Also, while you're there, you can click on the click on the shop tab, excuse me, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And also, you can go to mclanahanacademy.com to support the class or click on the support tab at brianmclanahan.com. Lots of great ways to support the show. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you love it. Share it around on social media. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. If you're on YouTube watching it, Click on that little heart button, the super thanks button under the video, and throw a few pennies my way. Lots of great ways to support the show. So let's get into the topic. And this is actually um, a, a topic that I didn't come up with. It's the Soho Forum. And let me give you the story behind that. Uh, the debate was last night on this particular topic at the Soho Forum. Um, I was asked to step in because one of the participants couldn't make it, and I couldn't do it because of work and family commitments, so I couldn't do it. But I thought it would make a fantastic episode for the Brian McClanahan Show, and what I would have said had I been there to talk about this to the Soho Forum group. Now, uh, Gene Epstein hosts the Soho Forum. It's a libertarian debate platform, and um, I think Frank Buckley uh, stepped in and did the, the affirmative side, and that's what I would have been arguing for secession. So let me talk about that. And I'm going to do this off the cuff. I haven't prepared anything for it. It's just something that came up. And I thought, well, let me hop on and say a few things about this particular topic. So the 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 topic begins with breaking up into different regions. So you have to look at the way the question is structured to understand the answer to the question. If we're talking about regional government, as opposed to independent state action. There's a couple of different things here. And then, of course, the other part of the question would be, would this bring a marked improvement in human affairs? This is a big topic. I mean, there's so many things to say here. So let's first start with the beginning and how I would address this if I was doing this at the SOHO Forum. I don't think even the opponent there would necessarily say that secession was illegal. So you don't have to go into that too much, a defense of secession. Though I would say, of course, it's a very easy thing to defend, even unilateral state action. I know the Supreme Court in Texas v. White has said that you can't do that. Uh, The the Supreme Court in Texas v. White had to say that because of the war. (laughs) If they had come out and said, you know, unilateral secession is perfectly legal, that would have invalidated the entire war effort for the Union. So they couldn't do that. So they had to say it was illegal. However, when you look at the Constitution, and even the amended Constitution, but particularly the original Constitution, 
There's nothing in that document that prevents secession. And we know this was the case because even as early as 1794, Northerners were pursuing a path to secession, at least openly talking about it. Uh, and we know they did this all throughout the Jefferson administration and to the Madison administration. We know abolitionists talked about secession. It wasn't just the South that was interested in secession. It's just that the South actually had the guts to try to pull it off. The North never did. But certainly there was talk about secession. Even I mentioned Zachary Taylor. I've talked about this before. Zachary Taylor, when he was going to his inauguration and riding in a coach with James K. Polk, said that you know California could be independent. And Polk was shocked about this. But California could be an independent country. We know that Texas was an independent country for a time, the Republic of Texas. So secession certainly isn't illegal. And of course, the, the easiest defense for it is the Tenth Amendment and the fact that secession is not denied by the Constitution, so therefore it's a reserved power of the states. We know that a couple of states had clauses in their ratification, their agreement to ratify, where they had a resumption clause, so they would resume the powers that the general government became abusive. We know that secession was not something the founding generation thought was illegal. We also know that they didn't think it was a good move. Uh, you know, Jefferson didn't think it was illegal, but he didn't think it was a wise thing to do, even in 1801, when he said the Federalists, uh, you know, should be allowed to uh, speak openly about this, and then we should be able to call them out on their error on it. But he didn't think it was wise at that point, and um, I'm not so certain he thought it was wise until you get into the early, much later, I should say, into the 19th century. But he did think that it was possible, and certainly he thought about regional governments, and how that would work. You know, you had the original 13 states, and then maybe you had a Western Confederacy. You had something like that. So it wasn't that the founding generation would think that this is illegal or that it it can't be done. They would say maybe it shouldn't be done. Of course, Randolph and the Virginia Ratifying Convention, who opposed the Constitution, signed, essentially signed off on ratification because he thought that Preserving the Union was the best thing for the state of Virginia. He didn't see how Virginia could go it alone because of the uh, international threat for Virginia, being from the French and the British. He thought it would be a very bad idea. So that's something we have to, have to consider in this particular question, this prompt. Breaking into regional governments, the United States into different regions is a workable option. So we know secession, again, is not illegal. Now, how would this happen? So if you look at what happened in 1860 and 61, we did have regional governments. We had a southern regional government, and we had a northern regional government that actually stressed, uh, stretched into the Midwest in, in both cases. Uh, you know, the Confederacy claimed Missouri. So did the United States, but the Confederacy claimed it. The United States, of course, also had the Midwest, right? You have you know, Illinois, Ohio, Indiana, all of that. Michigan was part of the United States. So it stretched into the Midwest, into the basically to the Plain States for the most part. Uh, and the Confederacy, had it been left alone, if it had achieved its independence, would have probably had influence in the desert Southwest. Uh, of course, with Texas there, they might have even been able to secure Oklahoma. There would have been a larger Confederacy at some point had the South won its independence during the war. Or if Lincoln had simply let the states go in peace, as James Buchanan was doing while he was president in those few months between the election and Lincoln's inauguration in March of 1861. 
So we had regional governments, and this was actually a pretty big topic even into the 1930s. If you look at the seminal work, I'll Take My Stand by 12 Southerners, those men argued that a regional-type government would have been best for the United States to leave the United States intact, essentially, for the purposes it was designed for, and that would be defense, most importantly, and also perhaps you know a free trade zone, maybe even international commerce, but to allow the regions to govern themselves. So that would still be, it was kind of a halfway house, right? You, you, kind of, you have the union still, but you don't have the union still. So this prompt actually says the, the United States is broken up. There's no more United States. You would have, say, a Southern Confederacy, a New England Confederacy, a Western Confederacy. So you would have these different regional governments on the North American continent. And how would that work for the improvement in human affairs? Well, I'm certain that the argument against this would be you would have fighting between these separate confederacies eventually. Look at what's happening in Europe. And the Union provides stability over all of these desperate parts and ensures that you're not going to have a civil war, essentially, or a war between these different areas in North America. Now, you could have a situation where these different regional governments are formed. You might have you know, smaller regional governments. Maybe you have a, a collection of three or four states into a regional government. Uh, all of these states, of course, would be Republican in form. I talked about that this last week, and I don't think that would change. I don't see any of these states adopting a monarchical system. I don't see any of these states adopting um, a, uh, a tyrannical system where you have one individual with supreme power. I don't see any of that happening. I still see Republican forms of government. I still see even in these regional governments a Republican system, though in some you might have more heavy-handed centralized power than in others. I could see, you know, for example, in maybe a Western Confederacy of Washington, Oregon, and California, you have uh, maybe a little more central, centralized power in that confederation than you would, say, in a Southern Confederation. Uh, you might have it pretty decentralized in the South. Um, perhaps in New England, you would have a little more centralization of power in New England. And that reflects the political culture of these particular regions. So then we have to define this idea of liberty. And, and Initially, uh, the prompt, I think, had a question of liberty involved in it. And so this question of liberty, uh, what does liberty mean to different people across the United States? And I've done this before, where you have these different versions of liberty. You've had hegemonic liberty, you have the liberty of the community or community liberty, you have natural liberty, you have reciprocal liberty. How would all of that work in these different parts? And political culture would be important. You would have a different form of liberty, say, in a Southern Confederacy than you would in a Northern Confederacy or a Western Confederacy. There's no doubt about this. You would have different ideas of liberty and how that would work in their centralized government in a regional government. You would have some type of central power. I don't think all of these states would go on their own. You would have a clamoring to create some kind of alliance so that you would have a defensive pact or a trade pact, something like that. But I could see, again, in, say, a southern confederacy, a southern federal republic, you would have a much more decentralized system than you would have, say, maybe in New England. Now, there's no guarantee of that because, you know, in, in Rhode Island, the people there don't really like Massachusetts very much. And, um, you know, would New York be willing to align itself with New England? 
Um, probably so. I mean, I think the political culture of these areas now is pretty, uh, pretty similar. Um, so you would have certainly these different regional governments formed for defensive purposes. I don't think you would see any type of warfare between these different these different groups, at least initially. Uh, maybe you know, far down the road, you could see something happening like this as different areas become uh, much less Anglo-American. And what I mean by that is some of these areas would, over time, because of immigration, if they allowed large numbers of immigrants into these areas, and I think maybe a, you know, a West Coast Confederacy would do this, um, you would see the political culture of these regions change. Now, maybe that wouldn't do anything. Uh, maybe that would uh, create a much more peaceful environment. I don't know. I, I can't predict that. I'm not certain that it would create any more violence among these areas. Um, again, because you could actually establish a defensive pact that if um, any of these regions are attacked, then the other regions would be willing to align and, uh, and defend these areas. Now, that wouldn't be an offensive pact. That would also be very clear. Uh, these areas would not uh, be on board with going on offense against another area. Now, what about resources and other things? Well, if you had a situation where you had a, a landlocked uh, group of states, there could be some issues with that. I mean, you've got, you've got airspace questions, you've got railways, you've got how do they get access to markets. So I think you would see some of these areas trying to align themselves with states that had, um, that had access to ports. You would see that, and then you would see, you know, flight traffic and other things. Uh, you know, of course, everyone's going to fly over everywhere, but you could see closed airspaces and stuff like that at some point, maybe. But you would try to. I think that all the states would try to still have all these regional governments would still try to have some type of free economic zone, so that there wouldn't be any kind of disruption in, in transportation of goods and services. I think you would you would see that. So I'm not so certain that these regional governments would see a breakdown, even as independent regional governments would see a breakdown in the things that make the United States work, which would be uh, the things that we enjoy, free, uh, free transportation across the states, uh, you know, fr the free exchange, again, of goods and services across the states and across these regional governments. I think that you would still have a lot of that, uh, and you wouldn't really see a whole lot of difference in these things. And I think that's partly because Americans have generally accepted a soft free trade ideology. Uh, now, I think that some people would be interested in international tariffs, but I don't, I don't know if you would have that necessarily between the states. Though, if you had, say, for example, a Southern Confederacy producing a lot of steel because you do have the steel industry in the South, maybe there would be a situation if, say, Pennsylvania was involved in a, in a, in a union with uh, I don't know, some other mid-Atlantic states, maybe New York or maybe, you know, something like that. You could see a situation where there would be some um, antagonism between these areas over steel production and steel importation and steel trade and these kind of things. So you might have some of that, some economic competition, but you have that already between the states. The states are already clamoring to try to get industry and manufacturing and other things in their areas by offering tax breaks and other stuff. So you already see some of this economic competition. I don't think any of that would go away. Would you see tariffs, though, between these states? Essentially, what, what I'm getting at here is 
would you have kind of an Articles of Confederation environment in the United States if you didn't have the United States Constitution? There wouldn't be a United States. There would be regional governments. But would you have this kind of uh, situation where this, these regional governments would act as larger states and then would interact with the other larger states for trade and other things? I think you could certainly see that in maybe even some antagonistic times. But I do think you could see, to answer the second part of this, a marked improvement in that way. These regions will be free to govern themselves according to their own political culture. And that is really important. Much of the angst we see in America today, and this is why the entire podcast is a Think Locally, Act Locally show, right? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's why I have the slogan. The real political angst in America today is over centralization. Americans don't like to have 50% plus one tell them what to do. We have razor-thin majorities. You see it in the Congress. We have a House of Representatives with a razor-thin majority for the Republicans right now, and it was a razor-thin majority for the Democrats just last year. The Senate, a razor-thin majority, and if the Republicans actually knew how to run candidates, it would actually it would be in the hands of the Republicans right now. If they didn't run Oz and Herschel Walker, they would control the Senate. I, I believe it 100% if they had actually picked decent candidates. So, they would be in power in Congress. The Democrats wouldn't have any control of the Congress, and you would have simply Joe Biden standing there saying he's going to veto everything because it violates the what the party wants for the Democrats. Regardless of whether it's constitutional or anything else, he's just going to veto it. So you would have the political culture of these regions able to respond best to their own needs and wants. Now, you could say maybe in a New England confederacy, you would see much less personal freedom, individual liberty. But again, in their conception of things, they would say this was uh, a movement, a positive direction, because they would have the ability for them to govern themselves and have an environment where they had more community liberty. And we saw this, of course, with the, with the COVID response. States like New York locked down pretty heavy. Same thing with California. And some of these people, you know, they still want to be locked down. In New England and other, they still want to have lockdowns in place. Whereas in the South, you didn't have very, much, very many lockdowns at all. I mean, it was life was pretty much normal um, because I lived there. And, I mean, for the most part, it was normal. You could go do things. Now, I mean, mask mandates were in effect in some places and... Um, you know, those kind of things. And schools were, were generally shut down or, you know, remote only. And that was a real disruption for people's lives. But a lot of people went home for businesses. But all of that started coming back much more quickly in the South than in anywhere else. Uh, and, you know, for the most part, you know, life in terms of commerce and even restaurants and those kind of things was pretty much normal. People did what they wanted. And if they wanted to go to a restaurant, they went. If they didn't, because they were worried about catching COVID, they didn't go. It was kind of like, you do what you want. You know, you you, you just go and, and deal with this it's the best way possible for you. So you would see a response for these kind of issues in that way. Now, one of the other arguments, of course, I can see that uh, the, the other side would say about this is that you would have, say, a civil rights issue in some areas that the United States offers, and this would be kind of the left libertarian position, it's, it's a pro-14th Amendment position. It would be the Randy Barnett's, uh, even though he says he's not you know, leftist, but in the way he advocates things, he is. 
Uh, you would see the Randy Barnetts and some of the Cato people. This is how they would argue these things. Well, the 14th Amendment provides its overall protection for civil rights. And so uh, the issue of, of uh, civil rights would be something that would be very difficult. Now, again, this ignores the role of the states in all of this. Currently, every state constitution has a Bill of Rights, and the states would have to abide by those Bill of Rights. And in regional governments, you would certainly see a situation where the regions would probably have a similar constitution to the U.S. Constitution. They would all develop something like that, where you would have some type of Bill of Rights, some type of, of list of, you know, I could say in some states it would be more, or some regions would be more extensive than others, but certainly you would have it. And so I don't, I think this is, again, a straw man. Well, if we look at look at what would happen here. We, get, we would lose civil rights. I don't think that would happen at all. I think because the American system, the American public, no matter where you are, has generally agreed that some type of civil rights is necessary now. That protecting people from arbitrary power is necessary uh, and to, a, to a certain level, particularly on things that are, you know, the the important stuff for Americans now, which would be, you know, race or, or gender, something like that. You would still see something out there to protect these things, even in more conservative areas. There's no question in my mind. You wouldn't abandon these at all. Uh, again, also, it's important to note that the states already have Republican forms of government with Bill of Rights. Every state has one. Now, some states are more extensive than others. Again, and, uh, for example, Illinois doesn't have what would be a, quote-unquote, Second Amendment. So gun control is much easier in Illinois than anywhere else because there's no state prohibition, there's no state constitutional prohibition on the state government going in and prohibiting firearms. And this is, again, where somebody could say, well, look, if we don't have the corporation, we don't have the 14th Amendment, all that stuff goes away. In some areas, yes, it would. Uh, you would have, I think, more restrictive gun laws in New England than you do in the South. You would have a lot more people in the South with firearm ownership and other things. You would have this. You would have. You would certainly have the states and the regional governments reflecting the political culture of the areas. But that would be, in my mind, a marked improvement in human affairs. You would have far less contentious politics if you had these areas, these regional governments, able to capitalize on their own economies, what they do best, and their own political culture, it would produce a marked improvement. Also, you would see a much greater improvement in terms of representative government. And this is something I've talked about, I just talked about it this week. The representative ratio in government. New England, in some cases, has a very small representative ratio. Some of the states do. I mean, 3,000 to 1. You've got much more representative government at the state level than you do at the federal level. And imagine if you had just take a Southern Confederacy and you just use the original 15 states that were considered the quote-unquote slave states. Not all these states would join the Confederacy. Delaware would probably go with a with a kind of mid-Atlantic confederacy. I would say Maryland would probably do that too. And maybe even Virginia would, would join something else because Virginia has lost much of its Southern character. Uh, there's still parts of it that are very Southern, but uh, because of all the people that have moved in, because of Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia, maybe you have Northern Virginia break off from another part of Virginia. I don't know how that would work out. But let's just take, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, 
Louisiana, you know, Arkansas, Texas, Oklahoma, you know, this area, right? Let's just take that area and look at uh, if you had a government like that in terms of a regional government and you came up with a Congress about the size of the United States Congress. So you get a Congress of, say, you know, 400 members in the House and then however many states and you have a couple of senators from each one and you have state control of an upper chamber. That immediately would have a, a better representative ratio than the United States government. If you had 400 members in a smaller confederacy, a smaller regional government, 400 members of the, of the central authority, you'd already have a better representative ratio. If you did this in every one of these regional governments, you would see greater political representation. I'm not just talking about the state level. I'm talking about the central government, too. This would get back to, you could, you could have it. You could almost go back to a situation where the United States government was near, uh, the, you, you could reverse, you could, you could turn back time at least 100 years and look at the representative ratio that way. So if it's a general government for general purposes, but your representative ratio is less than 730 or 750,000 to one, you're a lot better situation in terms of representative government. So we don't think about that, but immediately you would have more representative power as a citizen of these smaller regional governments than you would in the United States government. Because we've locked in the U.S. Congress at 435 members, it doesn't matter how big the United States gets, your representative ratio continues to, to go up and up and up. I think in not too long, you're going to see a representative ratio near a million to one. That's not really that's not real representative government. That's unworkable. So the other part of the prompt has a workable option. This would be much more workable to have regional governments where you have a better representative ratio. Because I'm doing this off the cuff, I've actually had to prepare this to go into a debate and do this. I would have come up with figures on this. But... Uh, in, in, a, in a situation where you have a New England Confederacy or a Southern Confederacy or a Western Confederacy or whatever you want to do, uh, you would have had a better representative ratio than you do now. And then again, at the state level, you still have that. You know, in my own state, it's about 35,000 to one. So maybe you see some even more decentralization. Maybe there's a push to have even more decentralization at the state level and have more local control of things. Plus, what you're going to see, of course, when you get rid of the United States government and you get rid of all of the federal case law, you're going to see the states be able to do things that, again, would better reflect the political culture of the states. And, of course, immediately, well, that would mean civil rights, but that's not what I'm talking about. For example, states cannot have county representation. They can't do in their own in their own states. You can't have counties with say a senate type system. It has to be one man one vote. You can't you can't have counties be represented at the state level because the federal courts have blocked all of that. You would see states be able to do things that they can't do because the general government has said you know for example economic activity because these things are illegal or unconstitutional. You can't do them. Uh, you would see all kinds of you. I think you would see a vast improvement in economic activity in the United States or in what's now the United States in these regional governments. You would have an explosion of economic activity in some of these areas because you would not have you would not be hamstrung by a court system that blocks just about everything. 
Um, you would still have, of course, in all these states, court systems that would be interested in protecting human rights. And I mean that sincerely because all you have to do is go back and look at Confederate case law when they were independent and find that the case is there. People would say, well, the Confederacy, those people were just a bunch of evil people and they did horrible things. You go back and look at their case law and you know, slaves, for example, had rights in court uh, and these decisions did not always go in favor of the master class. Uh, slaves did have recourse. So you would see this kind of thing, even in a slave system, you had you had a, a modicum of respect for human rights at the at in in the court systems. Uh, we don't have that system anymore, thankfully. So you would still have a respect for these things at the uh, at the uh, state level, and then of course for your regional governments. You might even see a system where you don't have a, a supreme court, or maybe the supreme court is so limited in these regional governments that it doesn't have the power that it has in the U.S. Supreme Court. So that would be a marked improvement in human affairs. I mean, this is a loaded question. It depends on how you define a marked improvement. I think you would have an explosion of economic activity. You would have better representative government. You would have less political conflict because these regional governments would reflect the people of those regions and would not be uh, worried about what the other states or the other region would be doing. I mean, Again, you wouldn't have in the South Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez telling you what to do. And if you're in New York, you wouldn't have Marjorie Taylor Greene telling you what to do. Uh, I mean, wouldn't that be a win-win for both places? Uh, wouldn't that be a benefit for both places? And, and I, I'll tell you, you might have a, a, some larger regional governments. It may not just be the South. You might have kind of a red state regional government that stretches not just in the South, but also into the Mountain West, places like uh, in Montana and uh, the Dakotas, uh, maybe even you know, Wyoming, these kind of states, you might have some of that. Uh, maybe, Cal maybe Colorado joins with the Western Confederacy, so you have kind of a, you know, a jut into the red states. But you would have some of this, you might have a state like Ohio or Indiana join this you know, kind of a, a red state coalition. Who knows the way it would shake out. The states would be willing to join where they wanted to join based on the political culture of those states. It would be a very interesting development, or maybe you simply do have a, a system where uh, the Midwest kind of stays together and, uh, and the South stays together and the West stays together. You might have something like that. It'd be hard to predict how all this would shake out. Maybe you have a few states that just remain independent, like Texas or California, large economies that could do this and maintain their own independence. Uh, I'm not certain how it would all work, but I think the ultimate response and I don't think there's really any way to argue against it because uh, small does work better, uh, is that this would be a marked improvement in human affairs, even in terms of intellectual activity. Uh, I think that um, when you look at the history of the world in Western civilization, smaller states have often produced better intellectual movements than larger, massive, you know, kind of a conglomerate nation state. Uh, you might have a situation where excellence becomes the cornerstone of these governments. You think of Athens, for example, 30,000 citizens. It was the most intellectually vibrant place maybe in the history of Western civilization. I mean, I think you could, you could say there were other examples uh, where you would have a, a similar type of, of um, intellectual, a burst of intellectual activity. But Athens, so important. And it's a small little thing. Um, this is, um, you know, the idea of small is beautiful. 
and how important that is for the vibrancy and the, the happiness of the people of these regions. Again, it reflects the political culture of the region. And as long as you have people that are willing to defend that political culture and maintain that political culture, I don't think you could say that there's any way that these regional governments would not be beneficial for humankind. All right, that's the short of it. Again, if I was doing this in front of a with with more preparation, I would have statistics and other things to back up what I'm saying. But um, I don't think there's any other way to argue this question. So that's my uh, that's my take on it. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan show. See you then.